What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Akami and her husband Clay have been through a pretty bizarre experience. When I heard this story, I knew I needed to talk to this young lady. She and Clay were doing a volcano hike. Yeah, that in itself might seem story-worthy, but this was not actually an active volcano, so it wasn't spewing lava. They hiked the two and a half miles up to the rim, hung out for a while, took some pictures. Then Clay decided he wanted to climb down into the crater. Akami didn't feel safe because of the steep incline, so Clay ventured down on his own. Things did not go as planned. This happened on an island, and they were all alone, and Akemi had no phone signal to call for help, and they were on their honeymoon. Akemi and Clay are back home in Indiana now. What you're about to hear is an experience they would not have chosen to go through, but they do have quite a story to tell their grandchildren someday. And did you know we have a private Facebook group for listeners of this podcast? We'd love to see you there. And if you'd like to join the others who support this show for as little as a dollar per month, you can do that at whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And now let's hear this story from Akami. Are you guys pretty avid hikers? I would not say that we are. I've done some hiking um, of the Appalachian Trail in the Pennsylvania area before, but that it's been probably seven years since I did that. Um, I do like to hike on vacations, but Clay, not so much. Um, we both enjoy hiking, but it's not something that we make it a point to do extremely frequently. If it, the opportunity presents itself when we're on a trip or um, on a vacation or anything like that, then we will. We enjoy it, but it's nothing that we have, you know, special gear that we use or anything like that. All right. So you got married on July 13. That was your wedding day. Yeah. Was it that day that you flew to St. Kitts? It was the following afternoon. So the next day you flew to St. Kitts, an island down in the Caribbean. And so this was your honeymoon. You were planning to be there for a week. Did you have anything scheduled or just hiking, swimming, stuff like that? We did have planned um, activities to do on some different days. Not every day did we have an activity planned for. And we were kind of flexible with our schedule. So we didn't schedule ahead of time with any tour guides or anything like that because we still wanted to have that flexibility if the weather wasn't very good to do a certain activity um, we would just change days so we had done some other activities at this point in time like some water sports just some time on the beach checking out some different restaurants and um, like historical places on the island and on Thursday was when we had decided to have the um, volcano hike day 
And we had planned to go to the neighboring island of Nevis the following day on Friday and do some other things there before we headed out on Saturday. So you had been there like four days. Yes. And so it, it was a Thursday and the plan was to hike Mount Liamuiga, which is a dormant volcano. What happened that day? We decided to hike the volcano and we'd done a fair amount of research regarding the volcano hike. There are several different um, tour guides who offer tours that you can pay for either like a, an agency or just people individually, like somebody who lives on the island and has hiked the volcano a lot and knows a lot about it and um, will offer individual tours. So our plan had been once we drove to the volcano, which was about an hour away from our resort on the island, we planned to just go to the like visitor center of the volcano and see if we could talk to a tour guide there and talk them into a lower price because most of the costs that we saw for these tours were about a hundred dollars a person and we were kind of like well if we can get by without doing it like it's it's just going to be a hike you know but they they do have like interesting information and history and things like that that they'll share with you typically on these kinds of tours so i'm always i always like having tour guides but when we arrived at the bottom of the volcano there was not really even like a parking lot. There were no buildings, no visitor center, nothing. Um, and no other cars were parked down there. So it kind of just started and it's covered with vegetation. It's, it reminded me almost of the Jurassic Park movies um, <laughs> with mm, okay. ferns and the gigantic trees with their roots coming out of the ground and lots of flowers and unique looking tropical plants. So it was beautiful, but it pretty much started right at the base of the volcano um, with all the vegetation and there was just a little trail that started there. So we're like, okay, sure. We'll just go ahead and jump on the trail and um, start hiking. It, it sounds like you were kind of expecting sort of a more touristy type place. Yes. And that was what the, some of the sites seem to allude to. It's like, it's a big tourist attraction. And it was, if you searched um, on just any search engine, you know, top attractions at St. Kitts or, you know, best things to do as a visitor, that was one of like the top three things to do. So people, it was highly recommended, except for people who said it was just like too um, intense for them. They said, yeah, don't do this if you're not into hiking and like rugged terrain and getting a workout and getting a lot of exercise because it's not for somebody who just likes to like walk trails, like leisurely type things. Yeah, you guys are young and fit, and so you're you're thinking, ah, we're up for it, right? Yeah, I thought, I, I enjoy hiking and I, uh, I like being out in nature a lot and plays extremely uh like physically fit and love sports so um we both thought sure let's go for it we knew about how long it was it's um about a three mile like two and a half three mile long trail from the very base of it up to the summit um and then back down so it's uh it's pretty short, I guess, but it takes a while because of the elevation increases that you're experiencing. So it's not just kind of a, a three mile long hike that's only going to take you an hour or so. The the hike up to the top took us about two hours and 45 minutes, but we saw that most people were taking about anywhere from two and a half hours to three hours to summit the volcano because you're increasing a lot in elevation. So there's a lot of like switchbacks to try and get you there and Oftentimes there's a lot of like rocks and boulders that you're kind of crawling up onto in order to continue on the path. Yeah, I know the I checked the elevation and it's it, it gets up to about 3800 feet. Yes, yeah. Right. So, yeah, so that's yeah, that's uh 3800 feet in 
So what did you, did you say two miles or three miles? I think it's about two and a half miles to get up to the, to the top of, of walking. Now, granted, you're not obviously increasing that much in elevation, but just like how the path kind of takes you up the side of the, you know, yes, it was about that far. So it's enough to get the, get your heart rate elevated yeah, anyway, yeah. As, you're, as you're hiking. And, That's good. You no, know, we, we took some, um, you know, scenery breaks, uh, <laughs> Catch our breath a little bit, like on the way up too, um, and to drink some water and everything because it's it's always pretty humid in the Caribbean. Most of the time, though, when you're on an island, you, do, you don't notice it as much because you have the breeze, so that kind of keeps you pretty cool. But being inside, kind of that very moist, very humid environment where you have the canopy of trees overhead, and it's very it was even sprinkling lightly while we were making the hike up, um, and then once we got to the top, we're kind of in the clouds. So we got to the summit of the crater at about 1145. And then we stopped to eat lunch at the top of the summit. We ate up there, we took some pictures, kind of walked around on some shorter trails up there that kind of led to either side of the summit. Once you get to the top, there was a gentleman that we ran into who was just about to make his way down. And we chatted to him for with him for a bit. And he's like, Hey, do you find any other trails? Um, and we just said, well, really all we've seen is the one that we came up on. Um, and then the wind's just to the side here. So he, you know, wished us well for the rest of our hike and then headed back down and he was by himself. And he's the only person you saw. During yeah, this trip. He's the only person that we saw the whole day. And I wasn't sure if it was because, cause I even mentioned that to Clay as we were climbing. I'm like, I'm, ex- I'm surprised that we're not, um, running into anybody. Cause I kind of expected to see some other people on trail and maybe even some other tour guides, but I did still think it was odd that there were no cars parked to the other vehicles down there. So are you sure you started at the right place? Yes, this was, um, there were two separate, um, you could go on either trail on either side. Apparently there was a trail on another, the other side, but it wasn't one that we'd seen on some of these like trail guide tourism sites. It's like the side that they would meet on and like the address, the location that they would go to. Um, and this was called the Mount Liamliga Trail. So it's kind of, I guess, like the standard one or the most popular one to hike. You just picked a day when there was nobody else there. Yeah, conveniently, which it, it was one of the few days that week that it was a little bit overcast. But that was one of the reasons why we're like, well, we'll go ahead and do it this day because we won't want to be out on the beach or doing any other outdoor activities if it's a little cooler and, and more overcast today. So once we'd gotten to the summit, Clay kind of climbed around on some rocks to get some better pictures because he was trying to get above the canopy of the trees so that you could see across the crater. And then once he'd come down from that, we kind of discovered another trail that led down into the crater of the volcano, which is not, and we could even look into it from the summit where we were. It's not, obviously, it doesn't have any lava or, or anything like that. There's kind of what looks like a little marshy area over on one side of it. And the rest of it just looks like a grassy plain with some ferns and, and other smaller vegetation in there, but no trees were growing on the inside of the crater. So it looked like someplace where you could go down into and take some really great pictures of the rest of the, of the summit of the volcano. Clay really wanted to go down into it. So we kind of went back a little bit more into the woods. We both started down the trail. And I say trail kind of lightly here because it wasn't so much walking down. It was more so you would go down it almost like you're going down a ladder from like a a second story of a floor or something. So we like turned around and we were facing like the inside and we were kind of climbing down. 
Yeah, I remember. I, I saw that you had described that this is in some places was an eighty degree incline. Yeah, is that, is that right? Because I mean, obviously, ninety degrees is just straight up and down. I, eighty degrees is. I mean, you, you. It seems like you'd almost have to do kind of a butt slide, you know, to to go down. Yeah, and on some. I don't know that 80 degrees would be hundred percent accurate, but I think definitely 60 or 70 degrees. That's that's still very steep. Yes. And it was extremely steep. And as you were going down and we saw this before we even started down, they had like paracord ropes that had been secured to like around trees and, and drilled into rocks. So obviously it was intended to be a trail that some people would go down, but as I was going down, I already have a fear of heights. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. So I wasn't like super thrilled to be climbing down this and it was still a little bit slick because it had been raining earlier and there were lots and lots of rocks on this because there wasn't as much vegetation growing down this steep slant. So... I, so it was kind of slippery. Yes, exactly. So we like came to like a few rocks where like I could kind of step off to the side of the trail and like stand on them and it was more level. And I just like looked down and I said, you know, what? I don't want to go down much farther. I said, do you really want to keep going? Um, he said, I really just want to go to the bottom and get some pictures. And he told me that he'd be really quick and he'd be right back up. But knowing from when we'd been at the part of the, the summit where we could see down into the crater and knowing how far down of a climb it was going to be. I was just like groaning inwardly because I knew I was going to be standing there waiting for him like 30 minutes or maybe 40 minutes, depending on how long he wanted to stay down there and take some pictures once he got to the bottom and got back up. So I was just like, oh my goodness. But I really, really did not want to keep going because I felt like I was going to slip. <laughs> um, it was probably about two minutes later when he'd gone out of view already and I had heard him continue to descend and climb down farther. And then I kind of lost hearing and he became out of sight. Um, so I didn't really know what was going on anymore, but then I heard what sounded like a big branch, like snapping and then something like rolling down the hill. Like, I don't know. I thought like a rock rolled and, and fell, but it was still like quiet. So I didn't hear like clay, like shout or nothing that really like alarmed me at that point in time. 
but then like as a couple more minutes went by, I kind of just almost had this feeling of paranoia that I can't really explain, but it was partially probably caused by me also just thinking, my goodness, I'm going to be standing here for a lot longer. And I don't want to like, I don't know, I don't really have anything else I want to climb around on. I already kind of, we took our pictures already while we ate lunch and everything. So what do you think the noise that you heard, what do you think it was? I don't know if that was, Clay thinks that it was the rope that he was holding on to at that point in time while he was climbing down, snapping, and then he fell. So the rope itself broke, or maybe the, maybe the tree that it was tied to that, uh, snapped off. Or yeah, and we don't know. We still don't know. Um, we still haven't found, found out what caused the fall, and Clay still cannot remember. So what we the reason we think he probably can't remember is because he probably hit his head right as he fell. And then he lost consciousness, obviously, at that point in time. But so I, I was up there still and I, you know, couldn't hear anything, but I was just annoyed and I wanted him to come back because I didn't want to have to wait that long. Um, so I started yelling his name really loudly and I said, hey, uh, Clay, like, where are you? Um, and I just, I figured he was maybe out of earshot, but then I was calling straight down the the side of the mountain so I thought he could hopefully hear me and then I heard back like a really really faint help and then I called again after that because I wasn't sure if that was what I heard or not Um, and then I heard it again and then at that point in time I just started I turned around and I faced the mountain and I just started climbing down as quickly as I could and I just started screaming his name because I was pretty certain by that point in time that he'd actually called out and it was an extremely like desperate sounding, like weak sounding, like gasping for air help that I heard from him. Could you tell it was his voice? Yes. Yeah. I could tell that it was his voice too. Obviously who else would be down there, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I climbed for probably, I don't know. It was probably like five minutes that I climbed down and I was climbing very rapidly and until I found him, but on the, my climb down, probably after about two minutes of climbing or three minutes of climbing, I found his cell phone on the side of the path and the orange bandana that he had tied around his head on that morning, just kind of cast to the side of the trail. And I grabbed both of those really quickly. And I just kept climbing down. And I, I was just screaming his name at that point in time, because I had no idea what had happened. I knew he had fallen, obviously, because I saw some of his belongings up there. And then as I started to get closer to him, I was just I was just panicking and extremely concerned about what I was going to find. Um, so because I was kind of freaking out, I just, I screamed down to him as I kind of came within eyesight of him. And I said, you know, I said, are you okay? Like what's wrong? And he kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I said, you need to tell me what's wrong with you, with you. So you, I can prepare for what I'm going to see. Cause I didn't know, I mean, how severe his injuries were or what was going on. So you, you kind of knew where he was at that point, but you couldn't really see him clearly. Yes. I was still climbing down and there were still some trees in the way, but I could see his, he was wearing a white t-shirt and his back was facing me. And okay. he, as I kept closer to him, that his head was bleeding, the back of his head was bleeding and that he was kind of like leaning forward, has it had his legs kind of like pulled up as though he was um, just like sitting and leaning forward towards his knees with his head in his hands. And I said, do you have any bones, like broken bones or like what's, what is going on? He just kept saying, I don't know. And kind of like gasping and like a gasping voice. Um, And I got closer to him and I said, you're going to be okay. I said, um, and I just looked at his face and he was bleeding profusely out of his nose and he'd been vomiting. So right then I knew, okay, he has a concussion. I know that these are symptoms. This is a sign that he has 
a head injury because he's vomiting, bleeding from his face. And obviously I can see spots where he's hit his head um, right behind the ear. And then on top of his head, he was bleeding from both of those areas. But aside from that, the rest of his body was pretty much uninjured, which was shocking to me. I mean, he had some minor like little scrapes and cuts, but all of his bones were fine. And um, In your previous experience, do you have any medical training at all? Uh, I just have, my sister's a nurse, but I personally don't have any medical training aside from being certified in first aid and CPR, I think when I was in eighth grade. And I'm pretty sure like CPR only lasts for like a year or two years or something and first aid lasts for three. So, Because not, not many people know about that, that vomiting is a sign of a concussion. So I was wondering how you... I've had lots of friends um, who played sports and they've had concussions in the past and they said that that, you know, like an extreme headache, dizziness, blurred vision after, you know, you fall and hit your head um, and then vomiting are, are signs of that. So that's how I knew that that was what was going on. And I was just at this point in time, what's going through my head is it took us almost three hours to get to the top of the volcano. We fall now into at least halfway down, probably the crater. Um, and we're going to have to get out of that. There's nobody here to help me. I got out my phone at that point in time and my hands are shaking and I'm, I'm trying to dial 911 and it just tells me no network. Like there's absolutely no network on either of our phones that I'm trying to call from and I mean, I knew at that point in time that we were going to have to get out ourselves. I mean, at least he didn't have any broken bones. So he wasn't like an extreme pain when I helped him stand up for the most part. But he was just extremely disoriented and extremely dizzy and resistant to even moving. And he still didn't understand what was going on. But I'd ask him his name and I'd ask him my name and he knew who we both were. Um, but he just kept gasping and, and holding his head in his hands and asking where we were and asking me to get help. And I said, I'm trying. I said, but there's nobody here. And he's like, well, what about that guy we saw earlier? And I said, well, I've been screaming and he's not responding. So we're going to have to get out of here ourselves. And he says, well, why can't you call 911? Like he just did not understand um, what was going on. And he kept asking where we were. And I kept telling him, we're on our honeymoon. We're in St. Kitts and we've been climbing a volcano and you fell. And then two minutes later, he'd asked me where we were again. But I just told him, we're just going to have to listen to everything that I have to say. And um, we're going to have to climb out of here. And then we're going to have to climb down the side of the volcano until we can get signal. During this time, you were obviously on the inside, you were panicking. Like, how are we going to get out? And what's, you know, how bad is his head injury? But you you were able to stay calm outwardly? Um, yeah, for the most part. I just started praying like out loud so that like both of us could hear and just like praying for like strength for both of us to get out and just for um, peace for both of us and for both of us to have clear heads and to be able to physically just be able to climb out of the crater and then down the side for the next three hours because I knew it was going to take about that long. Um, and it did. We pretty much, it took us about three hours until almost 4 p.m. to get down to the bottom. So how did you, obviously before you could get, you had to get back up to the room. How did you do that? Clay was still able to pretty much crawl. And while he crawled and grabbed onto the ropes or onto the rocks, I was climbing up behind him and I pushed on like his butt and I pushed on like his legs and like got beneath his feet and like put his feet up for him. He had 
the ability to move. He was just obviously had almost zero balance because his vision was blurred and he was conscious, but still had no idea what was going on. Incredibly disoriented. So I pretty much just told him what to do. I said, grab this, move your hand here, climb here, climb here. And I just said, great job. Keep going. You're doing great. And it probably took us 30, 30 minutes maybe to climb back to the top of the the summit. And then after that, I was like, all right, now we're going to, it's going to be easier now because we're just going to climb down. But he, like, even if he was just standing there, he would almost fall over. So I had to, uh, parts of it, when it wasn't an ext- incredibly steep part as we were making our descent, I would just have his arm over my shoulders and he would lean on me and just kind of stumble along. How do your body sizes compare? Clay is 5'10 and 160 pounds, and I'm 5'2 and I'm 110 pounds. So we're both smaller, I guess, um, for like our ages. Being able to guide him, though, I mean, that, that was a real workout for you, though. Yeah. Honestly, probably a lot of it was just an ad- like adrenaline and kind of being in shock and being able to make it down because by the end of the that day and the next day and the next day after that, I was just, I was so incredibly sore. It like hurt to move. It was hard to sit down and to stand up, which granted, I might've been a little sore after doing the hike anyway, but it was nothing compared to what the hike turned out to be at the end. You weren't expecting this kind of workout. No, (laughs) definitely not. Was he showing any other signs of injuries as you, as you continue to make progress? As we continued down the side of the volcano and as we were climbing up, We did have to stop almost probably every 10 or 12 minutes is what my estimate was. But again, this seemed like it was taking forever because we kind of were, we were going so slowly. Um, It seemed like every 10 or 12 minutes that he just was vomiting again and again and again, and, or at least trying to, his body was trying to, just as a reaction from his severe head trauma, basically only blood at that point in time that he was vomiting which made me panic because then I was wondering if he just had internal injuries to his organs that I had would have no idea how to diagnose. And then I kept thinking, well, am I making him, you know, am I hurting him even more by making him climb down the side of the volcano, you know, for the next three hours? Like, is this damaging his body even worse? Like, am I causing irreversible damage? Like I just had all these questions going through my head and then I just kept weighing my options what's the better decision to make should I leave him and try and go down myself or do I make sure that we just keep going together as far as we possibly can like I ultimately I thought no I'm not going to leave him because I don't know what if he'd be there when I got back and that would incredibly drastically increase the amount of time before he would get help as it takes me it would take me still probably two hours to get to the bottom and then once I did I'd have to get somebody to to come back up and then it takes us another two hours and then we have to make sure, I mean, he's disoriented. He might try and climb some random direction. Like, um, so I decided that I was just going to keep going with him. And as far as, and as long as we could go, we were going to go. And then, um, if he couldn't go any longer then I was going to have to go for help, but as long as he could keep going and he could the rest of the way, which was amazing to me, just the strength that he had, that we were going to keep going. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. 
There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. About at the one mile uh, marker, because there are like markers and like, it seemed like white paint on like a rock that marked one mile and two miles. And then I don't think there was one for three because it's not actually three miles to the top, but I saw it about a one mile marker. And at that point in time, I tried 911 probably, I don't know, two or three times. And right after the one mile marker saying that, okay, we've gone about halfway. Um, but it was discouraging too, because we had still another mile to go. I tried calling 911. They did answer. Finally, I had network on my phone and I told them our location. Um, they said they were sending an ambulance. And at that point in time, it was so relieving just to have made contact with another person, just to have um, had that assurance that somebody was coming to help who knew how to help. And I told Clay that and we just continued to make our descent. Now, granted, this whole time I had not stopped from screaming for help, you know, constantly just as we went down the mountain. So I was losing my voice too, just from screaming like that. And eventually then we got to almost the bottom. I could tell because it was getting much less steep, but I didn't still know how much farther. And I was still screaming for help at that point in time. And we actually, I actually heard somebody call back and that was um, the two paramedics. And then uh, one of the security officers at the nearest resort um, had been sent over as well. And that was just seeing them come into sight. And then they grabbed clay and I grabbed the stretcher they'd brought because they kind of just carried him out, the two of them. And then I walked back with um, one of the other paramedics who had all the medical bags. And it was just, I was so exhausted, but I felt so relieved at that point in time that we had finally made it um, to the bottom. And that at least at this point in time, like I'd finally gotten him back and um, he had the the ability to get medical treatment and medical care now that he needed. And um, I mean, it was still incredibly because we're in uh, another country and it's not the United States. And you always hear about another countries if you have anybody uh, or any friends who traveled there and they had some kind of an emergency experience. And, you know, it sounds scary sometimes because it's not familiar with, but he received the care that he needed. We were in the hospital for from that Thursday night until Wednesday 
um, when Clay was airlifted by an air ambulance airplane back to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where they did follow-ups with him and, and found out that not only did he just have the fracture to his skull, where air had been able to get inside and, and a severe concussion, that he also had a spinal fluid leak that was coming through his nose, which they weren't able to diagnose in St. Kitts at the hospital with the technology that they had. So that was scary to know that he could have gotten meningitis or he could have gotten a severe infection had that not been diagnosed and treated. What kind of treatment did they actually give him at, in St. Kitts? Um, was it just he would just stay there to, to get stabilized for the trip back to the U.S.? Uh, or did they what did they do? We um, he was given like an IV bag in the emergency room, and um, they did two CAT scans of his head and then of his neck. Um, and they thought what they were seeing was his second vertebrae that had been fractured, which they were shocked then that he was able to move and he wasn't paralyzed because typically that the C2 vertebrae is um, incredibly like important. Like if you fracture that one, you're usually paralyzed or you're dead. But it ended up being that their, their first CAT scan was not very accurate. So they did a second one. They thought it was just some air bubbles that had traveled down into like his spine area from the fracture. So they diagnosed him with the fractures um, and the severe uh, severe trauma. So they kept him on bed rest for the most part. Um, they gave him an antibiotic, I think, just because that's kind of standard um, in the hospital. But he didn't really have pain, um, just the, the dizziness and the um, like instability. Basically, he was very um, unstable when he'd stand up. But he had regained his orientation, so he knew where he was, and he didn't have memory loss aside from the fact that he didn't remember how the accident had happened. How long did it take him to be oriented again, you know, to know where he was and what was going on? When we were in the emergency room, he at least, and I was talking to him, he at least knew what was going on, but he was still, he still seemed incredibly like exhausted and disoriented and it didn't seem like he was his normal self and really understanding what was going on until the next day on Friday morning when I came in. He was probably dehydrated to some degree. Oh, absolutely. Because we drank like most of our water just coming up the side of the volcano. And I had probably a 16 ounce water bottle left as we came back down to the base of the volcano. But I wasn't going to give him water because um, obviously he's having a lot of trauma and I didn't really drink any because I was not even thinking about it. But I guarantee that definitely was a contributing factor to his disorientation, you know, how he felt and sure. So you guys were happy to be back in the U.S. Yes, that was such a relieving feeling to be on that airplane heading back, uh, arriving in Fort Lauderdale, like being in the hospital in America and just being with people who speak like better English, English that's easier to understand. And in St. Kitts, they speak English, but it's with almost like a British Islander accent. So it's kind of, it's not super hard to understand them, but they would say something and it didn't make very much sense. And you try and understand what they were saying um, or they try and understand what you were saying and then they wouldn't understand it. So just being back and, and knowing that we're closer to our family and knowing that we're in the United States was an incredibly reassuring feeling. And, you know, having insurance cover things at that point in time and 
So yeah, you were so you were back in Florida, but you actually live in Indiana, yes. right? Yeah. So we were in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the hospital from Wednesday, um, the 25th, I believe it was, of July until the following Friday, August 3rd. I believe that was a Friday, August 3rd. We were there for over a week still following um, him being in the hospital in St. Kitts for seven days. (laughs) So yeah, it was a very long time to be in a hospital. I'm sure for Clay too, he was in a hospital 15 days straight. So yeah, a very long honeymoon for us too, but um, not the most enjoyable one, but definitely an extremely memorable one. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everybody wants an extended honeymoon. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> not, not this kind though. Yeah. Not this type. How has his recovery been since then? Any, any injuries that are still hanging on? The one injury that Clay has, and it is permanent, is he is completely deaf in his right ear. And that was caused by the fracture of his skull going through his hearing organ or his cochlea in his inner ear. And that could potentially be part of where the spinal fluid leak occurred as well, because your ear, nose, and throat are all connected. And his right ear had been filled with fluid. And initially, the doctors in St. Kitts thought that that was what was causing his hearing loss and that he would just have to wait until the fluid drained back um, or was absorbed by his body so that his hearing would come back. But we did not do any official hearing testing in Fort Lauderdale because they were very focused on keeping him basically just lying in bed all day. And he had to have a spinal drain put in to drain spinal fluid from his lower back so that it would relieve the pressure in his skull so that that, that spinal fluid leak in his sinuses could heal. They weren't really focused on trying to figure out what was going on with this hearing because they wanted for that fluid to also be absorbed. So we did not officially diagnose that or get that diagnosed until probably another two weeks after we had gotten back from Fort Lauderdale when he went to an audiologist, an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor um, in Indianapolis, which is where we're from. And then they did the hearing test. They found out that he was profoundly deaf um, in his right ear. And Clay was disappointed because he's always the always the optimist and is always thinking, oh, I'm going to get out soon. They're saying maybe three days, maybe five. It'll definitely be three. And, you know, it never was the case, but he never lost hope. And he's like, great. I was hoping it wasn't bad and hoping that it was correctable. Now, since that point in time, his audiologist that he met with said that it is in fact permanent, but it could potentially be something that could be resolved by a cochlear implant if the fracture to his skull went through the cochlea and not the cochlear nerve. Now, if it went through the cochlear nerve, then it is not repairable, but he could potentially qualify for that cochlear implant, but they'd have to conduct an MRI. And we want to know initially first if his insurance will cover it. So currently we're in the process of getting with some ENT surgeons here in the Indianapolis area and seeing if that could potentially be an option for Clay. And then they would conduct the MRI and find out if it even is repairable. But if not, he's still incredibly optimistic about his whole life situation now, even though he can't hear out of his right ear. And um, if that isn't an option, then there's different hearing aid type options that can kind of receive sound in his right ear and then Bluetooth it over to his left ear so that at least 
he doesn't seem deaf to people when they're talking to him. He can turn his head, you know, all the way around to try and hear them. Um, and in the meantime, you've gotten used to just walking with him on his left side. Yeah, right? <laughs> sitting on his left side, all of that. So if he tries to ignore me, he can always just roll over on his left side uh, <laughs> or turn away <laughs> and uh, have his right ear facing me. Yeah, ultimately, it's crazy to me that with all his injuries that happen, that's the only thing that he has lasting. And I'm glad it's that and not something that is physically painful to him, like, you know, migraines or, or something of that nature. It doesn't really affect his day to day too much. Yeah. If he could have, if he would have injured his back or broken, a, you know, messed up his knee or something like that. I mean, that's, that's stuff like that is with you the rest of your life. Usually. Oh, yeah. yeah. How often do you think about how things could have gone differently at any point in this story? I definitely thought about it multiple times a day while we were in the hospital in St. Kitts and, you know, Clay and I talked about what could have happened to, and we joked about, you know, this would be a great premise for like a movie to be based upon it. And in order to make it more dramatic, somebody would have to, you know, there'd have to be like animals involved attacking us too, or, you know, we kind of joked around about it once we knew that he was going to be okay. But I do think about it. And every so often now I just think about, the accident, probably every day I still think about the accident. And whenever you go through something like that, it does kind of change your life and change the way you think about life a little bit, going through something that did have some permanent lasting effects on, you know, your new spouse and that kind of mentally impacted you going through that as well. It's hard not to, it's hard to completely put that in the past. I don't think I ever really could or that Clay ever really could because it did alter our lives a little bit. Um, his life physically and my life just um, living through that experience and now having that, it, it does change you. It makes you uh, more grateful for what you've been given and grateful that we were able to get out of it and that it had the outcome that it did, but also just very appreciative of of the life that that we're given and Clay and I are both believers in God and we believe that he is the one who ultimately brought us through this and he had this in his plan for us and for our marriage and for our life together going forward and um, we're grateful that he allowed for the outcome to happen that did it's pretty incredible and now we have a story that we can share with our um, friends and family and those people that that we meet through the rest of our lives and eventually with our our kids if we have them someday and still something that I don't always love to think about or love to talk about because it is emotional at points, but still again, something that has kind of changed our lives and it's important that we share the story with other people. So definitely talk about testing those wedding vows yeah. <laughs> pretty quickly, right? Yes. <laughs> Usually you don't think of the sickness and in health uh, thing until your later years, but old. boy, exactly. <laughs> a, a week later, man. Yeah, it happened real quick. You think you'll ever go volcano hiking again? Maybe not. Um, or if we ever did, we would make sure it was as a group or with a guide who actually knows what's going on um, and knows the volcano or mountain, and would probably say, "Actually, that's not a very safe trail to go down." Um, um, and we'll be able to advise us on that if we were. Clay is 
unfazed by the accident. He still enjoys climbing and playing sports and, you know, being very active, which I'm glad that it hasn't altered him or scared him away from that. But I think we'll be a lot smarter in the decisions that we make um, and any kind of risk that may be involved going forward, just having had this experience. And and don't go off by himself. Exactly. Right? That's the rule. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> He's no longer allowed that. Well, that's a great. I'm I'm glad it turned out the way it did. And uh, yeah, hopefully someday the technology will allow him to have uh, stereo hearing again. That's yeah. always a nice thing. Yes. Thanks for listening. Pretty crazy story, huh? I'll tell you, if I ever fall into a volcano, I hope someone like Akemi is nearby. I want to mention something here, and I'm putting this at the end of the podcast because if you've listened all the way to the end, then I have to assume you really like the show, and I appreciate that. You probably heard on some other podcast where the host is always asking the audience, don't forget to leave us a rating and a five-star review because that's what helps us get found by more people. Unfortunately, that's just completely untrue. Ratings and reviews do nothing to help a show get discovered, and it's too bad a lot of podcast hosts don't know that. So that's why on this show, you don't hear me asking you to do that. It's just really a waste of time for your time and my time. I don't mind if you do, and if you want to, that's fine. But if you really want to help this podcast get found by more people, what I would love for you to do is to tell your friends about it. Like if you're in a Facebook group that's about podcasts, like where people recommend podcasts to each other, just create a post that says, hey, have you guys heard about this podcast called What Was That Like? And put a link to the website, whatwasthatlike.com. Or maybe talk about a particular episode you really liked. And not just on Facebook, but if you're on Reddit, that's another great place for sharing podcasts. And speaking of sharing your favorite shows, I've started a Facebook group called I Found a Podcast. And the whole purpose of that group is for people to share their favorite podcasts or share a new one you've just discovered. So if you want to learn about some new podcasts you may not have heard of, or you want to share some of your favorites, check it out. You can get there by going to whatwasthatlike.com slash found, F-O-U-N-D. So if you've shared this podcast with your Facebook friends or even your real life friends, thank you. And I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>